0: Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacey Francis
1: will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacey Francis.
0: Thank you for joining us with Financially Ever After coming to you every other week with the financial information you need to make smart decisions about your money, both during divorce and after. Today we have a special guest, Jill Miller, who is a dear friend of mine as well. She has her own firm, Jill Miller and Associates, and they formulate sophisticated personalized estate plans for individuals and families. She also has particular expertise in estate matters affecting non-U.S. citizens and non-traditional families. She has a detailed and practical approach to the administrative of estates as well. She's able to deal with complicated probate issues, and she's able to prepare estate tax returns as well, helping individuals minimize the concerns and risks of audit. Jill knows what she's doing, trust me. She's a super lawyer and she's spoken at numerous, numerous conferences. She's currently the director of the estate planning clinic and an adjunct professor of law at Cornell Law School, which FYI, I don't know how you fit in. You've been doing that for years with Cornell, (laughs) which is amazing. Jill and her husband, Michael, have two daughters, uh, Sarah and Dana. And Jill enjoys her book club, being a mother, fitness, staying in shape, gardening, planting and watching movies. I love watching movies too. So I'm really excited to have you here. And today we're going to be talking about you know, kind of the basics of estate planning, but I know that you have some ideas and some stories of different celebrities mm-hmm. of what they've done wrong, kind of those messages that we see in the media, and what does that mean for us, particularly if you're going through a separation or if you're not getting along with your spouse, or if you're actually going through a divorce or are divorced? So, I'm really excited to talk to you. First, how did you get into estate planning? Has this always been your area of law that you've practiced in, or did you come to it
1: through another? journey another road. Great, thank you Stacy. I guess first of all I want to say it's an absolute pleasure to be here and to be working with you and to be part of your podcast and I would say the activities that I like, I like to be part of podcasts. So thank you so much. We'll put that on there. Put that on there. <laughs> anyway, so I love what I do. I became an estate planning attorney. It's funny, I fell in love with it in law school. Of all the different classes, that was the class that I found the human story, just very intriguing. And it's also something that you just feel, feel good at about at the end of the day. The folks that I work with, I'm helping them with real problems, real challenges, helping them with their families. And you just, again, you feel really great about what you do at the end of the day. That's part of why I work at Cornell Law School and Up there as a director of the estate planning clinic, we do pro bono work for folks that can't otherwise afford it. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, everybody needs estate planning. It's not all about just money and the gratitude that we get and is just really terrific. Yeah.
0: So... For women who are going through the divorce process, typically you're dealing with a lot of legal issues, but it happens to be on the matrimonial side. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, one of the problems is not focusing on the legal estate side. What are some of the issues that can happen and why do women going through a divorce need to update their will, update their power of attorney
1: and their health care proxy? Well, that's an excellent, excellent question, Stacy, and I'm really glad that you mentioned it. I actually have a sheet, which I will share with you, that I give to all of my clients. It's also on my website about when should I update my estate plan. And on the top of that is a big change in your family situation, like a divorce. So. Two things. One is that when you are in the middle of a divorce, you have to be very careful about what you can update in your estate plan, mm-hmm. because that you have to talk to your matrimonial attorney to make sure what you do or do not do is not in violation of any particular agreement that they have in place while people are working things out. The second thing: as soon as you know it's okay to make the changes. You need to do that right away. So that's like the biggest piece of advice. See an estate planning attorney, someone that does that for a living. One of my favorite stories is I was working for the ex-spouse. She and the decedent was divorced. Very sad situation. So you know, I guess working for the evil ex-spouse, but you always have to everybody has to get represented. And she, the decedent, was sick. She couldn't handle it. She left. They got divorced, but he forgot to fully update his estate plan. He had done a very simple will. He was sick. He knew things were not going well leaving everything to his uh, sibling. He had no children. And we thought everything would be fine. But a key part and a key takeaway from this question is that she forgot to update her will substitutes. A will substitute is an asset that passes by operation of law to a joint owner or a named beneficiary. So what did that mean? That mean that he had an old retirement plan that named her as the beneficiary. There was a joint bank account. And there was also an old life insurance policy. Now, the good news is, is that this was a very old case. And since then, New York has updated their revocation on divorce statutes. So if this case were to happen, we would have seen better results. But the results back then, which uh, is about 15 years ago, is that my um, ex-spouse was able to get those monies. And even though the executor, the brother, called me up and told me that she didn't do right by his brother by leaving him when he was sick, he needed to have gone to an estate planning attorney to say, doing a new will, is not enough. You need to do the assets as well. And a footnote to this as well is in that, like I mentioned, the New York law has been revised in favor of revoking designations of retirement accounts and life insurance and joint accounts to an ex-spouse, but it doesn't necessarily do that for the ex-spouse's family. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Even if you have an old will and you've named your, you know, a sister-in-law who you have nothing to do with anymore now that you're divorced. And something happens to you and you have her as trustee of your kid's trust or as a guardian or as successor to your power of attorney, that law will not help you there. Mm -hmm. So you really got to make sure that you see your estate attorney. And along with that is that, you know, if you are now single because you're divorced, you have to be very careful about who you choose for the different estate planning roles because you're now on your own.
0: So tell me more about that. So, you know, in addition to updating your will, making sure that your matrimonial attorney has given you the okay, that it's in accordance with any settlement agreements, you know, doing a new healthcare proxy for medical decisions and power of attorney for, you know, making financial decisions, you then need to choose these roles of executor of the will, of potentially guardian for your children. Can you talk a little bit about what the executor does Mm -hmm. and factors to think about. And then also a guardian and factors you need to think about, especially if your ex-spouse is living. Love to hear questions or things to think about there as well. But let's start with the executor.
1: Okay, great, Stacey. Those are two excellent points. So the executor is the person when you're no longer around, they're in charge to collect all of your assets pay all of your debts, file your final income tax returns. And if there's kid, if there's trust for your kids, then set those up. So that person needs to be organized. Yeah. They need to be detail oriented. (laughs) trustworthy, uh, trustworthy, but, and ideally someone that lives close to you Mm -hmm. because they'd need to go into your home, collect all of your mail, need to secure the apartment. Say you have pets so you have a home out in the suburbs you need to make sure mm-hmm. like the pipes don't freeze in the winter so that's some of the you know description of the role but let's talk a little bit about personality characteristics because you can have a wonderful trusted you know sibling that lives close to you and that would be oh my brother and I are super close and he's always there for me but what we don't know whether we actually we do know but we have to really think about it, is that my brother doesn't do administrative tasks So when we go to his home, the mail has been there for the last three weeks. And, you know, he'll open it, you know, once a month and he'll figure it out. We also know that he, you know, never files his income taxes on time. You know, he just pays the money and just will deal with the filing later. He
0: deals with the penalties. And deals
1: with that. But again, it's a trustworthy person, but they don't do administrative tasks. So that would not be a good match. It's almost like applying for a job. You got to make sure... It's more than just trust yeah. and good feelings. The person has to have the right qualities for the job. Yeah. Let's move over to the guardian because that's a really big topic. Yeah, and
0: I have questions of,
1: mm-hmm. you know, can you, with younger children,
0: not have the guardian be the ex spouse? Like, mm. I, and I imagine there are women out there that. Would be, you know, roll over in their grave knowing that their ex spouse has 100% custody of their child. What do you do in that case?
1: That's a really sticky wicket, Stacey, because the courts don't like to terminate a parent's parental rights yeah. and rights to their yeah. children. Yeah. So unless you reach that standard, and a matrimonial attorney would be able to help you with that. And I will tell you, it's a very, very high standard to me. Like the person has to really have done significant, terrible things. Really to done lose, something bad. Really, really bad to lose their parental rights. I mean, the law, you know, what, you know protects those rights. They only want to take away a parent's parental rights If it really is an absolute necessity and the courts will bend over backwards to go away from that, they want to find the parental relationships, an extreme decision if that's the case. But that being said, there is something that a divorced woman can do because if something happened to them and say a husband had predeceased or he's disabled she can put in her successor guardian of her choice okay. and if he may have not only done an estate planning or maybe she's done a thoughtful estate plan that is something that she can actually do and in fact one of my new resources which I'll leave for you for your uh, listeners is letter of wishes to guardians and what that is it is a series of questions that each the mom, you know, the moms answer about what their values are. How do I want to raise my children? What is their relationship with money? What do I think about chores? What do I think about Education, different religious beliefs, my thoughts about different family members, and to encourage certain relationships, or who in the family is crazy that we want to try to minimize contact with. Mm-hmm. So that gives the space for the divorced woman to go granular on on some of the things that are important. And at the end of the day. The court is going to find out what is in the best interest of the child. And certainly if mom has spoken and her voice is seen in this letter of wishes to guardian, that will be something that that can be submitted to be taken into consideration.
0: So I just want to say, so what I'm hearing, Jill, is that you can... Name your guardian as your ex-spouse because yes. that is most well, you likely. You have to
1: do. <laughs> you
0: have to do right. But if they predecease, if they pass away, or for some reason can't serve because they're incapacitated or disabled, you can put a successor. Of if they cannot serve, then I want the kids to be looked after by my mother or my sister, and that you can do that to just make sure that if God forbid. He cannot take care of the children or has passed away, that you can make sure that the guardian that you want to be there and that there's also the letter of wishes to the guardian where, you know, she now has a voice to explain to that guardian why those decisions were made and how she wants those children to be raised.
1: Yes, that's right, Stacy. And also, I would say in the will, when we are naming the successor guardian, if we want to, we can even put in a couple lines about why we've named that successor, that explaining, explaining, saying that, you know, my Aunt Susie has had a long, relationship with my children and I know that she would be able to care for my children both financially and emotionally yeah. for them and we could even add to that letter of wishes to guardian some of our thoughts about why that person would be a good fit yeah. again at the end of the day it's going to be in the best interest of the child and if you had say the ex-husband had named a guardian in his will and you have yours and there's you know unusual circumstance where both of them aren't able to serve you know both of them die and you have this, you know, which will controls certainly the thought out plan and, and what the details is showing why this is in the best interest of the child is going to have much more significant yeah, yeah. weight.
0: So a lot of women do the right thing during their divorce or afterwards. They update the will. They update their guardian. They choose their executor. They'll do their health care proxy so that, you know, the right person is making medical decisions. They don't want their husband to be doing, right. to be doing that. And the same thing with the power attorney. They don't want their ex right. husband to be nope. controlling the pocketbook if, God forbid, they're incapacitated. But what about beneficiaries? What about nice. beneficiaries on, you know, your IRA or, you know, maybe your 401k at work? What happens if, God forbid, you forget to update those, but you've done a great job? And your will is beautiful, brand spanking new, and it's
1: perfect. Some problems I imagine. I imagine those are definite problems. But if you're going to the right estate planning attorney, that is part and parcel of doing a proper estate plan. Yeah. So Stacey, if like is an analogy, if you're going to go for a checkup with your doctor, he's going to take your weight and your height, but he's also going to take the blood test and do an EKG. You're not going to just go in and take your weight and your height and, so and he just say you look good. You know, <laughs> So that's a very critical part of estate planning. And I'm glad you brought it up again because it is an often overlooked part. People yeah. think I go in. I'm doing my will, it's beautiful, it's exactly what I want, I've thought about who I've chosen for the different roles, and also, and I want to add a red flag next to this, you have spoken to each of the people that you've chosen, let them know about the role, and that they are okay with it.
0: So you've talked to the, and actually talked to the executor, and yes. talked to who would be your guardian. Yes. I imagine there could be someone that doesn't want to be guardian. Yes. You think they'd be great, but that's the last
1: thing they want to do. Right. Or trustee, uh, you know, be a trustee or executor. One of my favorite sayings is no good deed goes unpunished. And that uh, when you're an executor and you're a trustee of a trust, that is a fiduciary responsibility. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but also it means personal liability. Mm -hmm. That means if you make a mistake, you personally are on the hook and the family member or the creditors can look to you. You know, for claims. Yeah. So you have to be very. It is a serious job, and you have to put the interests of the beneficiaries above your own interests, yeah. among other things.
0: So I would love to move to the Jersey Housewives part of the, <laughs> of the programming today. Yes. So first person, Marilyn Monroe. So Marilyn Monroe married several times, but when she passed away, when she took her life, she was single. She was not married. And you mentioned you know, in preparation for today when we were talking, that her huge estate, the majority of the estate actually ended up, of her money, of her assets, going to strangers.
1: Strangers, yes. How,
0: How is that? I mean, yes, she's single, but how could it go to strangers? I mean, what did she do wrong?
1: Well, I think that the biggest challenge with her was that She didn't really necessarily think about, you know, who the beneficiaries of her plan were, realizing the type of assets that she had and what would be, you know, the best way to give them away. Because when you give property to somebody and it's just outright, it's theirs. And one of the biggest significant assets of Marilyn Monroe's estate is her intellectual property. What do I mean by that? I mean by that her image, her movies, her not her bank account, those are long gone what's real value here the the, the pictures pictures.
0: right with you know above the subway exactly
1: so those are the most valuable assets and if you're giving it to her boyfriend or her friend i don't have a will in front of me i don't remember what it said but it's given to them outright and these assets the life of those assets are still good today they're still worth a lot of money so they own those assets and when those people die they can give it to whoever they want And these are people that got these assets that she never knew about. Mm -hmm. So what could we have done? She could have seen an estate planning attorney that realized, because she was a celebrity, and realized that she had significant intellectual property assets, and have them go, if she wanted to benefit certain people, she could give specific bequests. But then the remainder of this could go into a trust for the benefit of certain individuals. And when those individuals are gone, she could have that money go to charities or other interests for her. So okay. she could have had a Marilyn Monroe Foundation to benefit women yeah. or yeah. other you know, good causes as opposed to those assets being given outright to others. And then it's up to them what causes they would like to give those assets to.
0: So really important to think through, especially if you have assets that have a life of their own. And when we say that, songs, intellectual property, we worked on a divorce, and it was somewhat high net worth, but he had a music career mm-hmm. and had some songs that had were still on the radio that still, you know, brought in significant amounts of money. Yep. And so to whom would those go? Right. And after that, they're going to be there for a long time. That's so right. thinking bigger and thinking, thinking bigger. about, you know, maybe they are there for the support of my children. But at their death, Going to a, a charity right. and being able to, you know, think bigger, bigger. Yes. So now, what about Prince? That was not too long ago, and that was, you know, very sudden.
1: A terrible tragedy.
0: It, I grew up. I remember riding on the bus, and you'll get go. My bus driver was my aunt, but I remember <laughs> um, 1999, the album. And listening to it and, you know. Yeah, it
1: was a great song. Now we're showing our age. I know. We heard
0: it when we were five, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I just just was turning five and a half. Exactly. Me too. um, (laughs) But here you have, you know, one of the most well-known celebrities in the world who didn't have a will. Yeah. Like with the number of visors, his managing agents, his doctors, his investment managers. Number one, how does that? happened. But number two, what ended up happening with his estate? Or is it still in process right now?
1: I guess to first address, I mean, any, you know, business manager or he has an accountant, he must have had a financial advisor. Not everybody's like you, Stacey, that thinks about these things, but they really should have told him to do an estate plan. And maybe they did because we weren't there. Maybe they did. And he was one of these people, you know, I'm living forever and I'll do it later. You know, it's something that's important, but not urgent. So maybe they did have those conversations and he didn't want to do it. Or, you know, we'll never know. For someone of that kind of money, it's critical to have an estate plan. If anything, and maybe the way to have like sold it to him is that what happens if he got disabled Prince? And who's going to manage your financial affairs? And you know i remember he was a private person so why don't we think about doing a living trust for you because that's a two in one you know you have a living trust you have your assets in the living trust it avoids probate the living which means that your you know wills are public documents people can see your wills but celebrities typically use living trust revocable living trust because it, it avoids probate and also is a private. People can't, you know, have that as part of the, my celebrity will collection yeah. that I have for my Cornell Law students. So if he had done that, he'd put his assets in the living trust. And if he became disabled, he would have someone he trusted to be able to manage all of his financial affairs while he's disabled. Make
0: sure he's okay.
1: Make sure he's okay. Then when he gets, you know, better again, he resumes control. His life isn't, he doesn't miss a beat. And then if something should happen to him unexpectedly, the assets then go from the living trust to the people and charities or whoever, or heirs that he wants to name quickly, without involving anybody else, without having to try to find out what his, whose family heirs are. And that's actually a big choice of celebrity clients and the like folks that I work with that are celebrities or people that are, I guess, of interest. We really love the revocable living trust because it's private. It's quick. It avoids a lot of headache. It's like a two-for-one. It's like a combination of a power of attorney and a will.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that option. And I think what's important for everyone listening is that you don't have to be a celebrity to benefit from that. So that will... Your will is a public document yes. and anyone can look it up and see to whom you left money and you know, even how much, depending on know, right. how how explicit it is. But a living trust is essentially just a basket that holds the assets during your lifetime. You ideally, ch- yes. Ideally. Yes. You can change it in and out, you know. Yep. So you can put an account in there, you can decide you don't wanna have the account. It's almost like, you know, pouring water from one cup to another. You can no issues. Yes. But what's wonderful is again you pass away. Whatever's in that trust is private. Yep. You have someone you've named that would be the trustee to make sure they manage it. And your beneficiaries who you nominated who's gonna get that money get it very quickly. Very quickly. So there's I don't know, I don't feel like there's any negatives of a living trust. Why don't more people do living trust because I feel like there's a myth around a
1: living trust that it's only for the wealthy. Yes, that's right. But
0: it's not. No right? it isn't. It's not.
1: And it's becoming, I'll tell you this, Stacey, it's becoming more and more important, especially with our aging population. Revocable trust, people hear the word trust and they think, oh, that's only for the wealthy. Right. It's a- it really could be worth its weight in gold in many family situations. A big problem that I guess the country is seeing now as our population is getting older is an explosion of the financial abuse of older adults. There are all kinds of scams, as I think as almost as stars in the sky, people are creative to take advantage of our older adults and it's a terrible shame the latest statistics i had read was like only one out of 23 crimes were even reported and a lot of times- because they're, they're embarrassed they're embarrassed, I'd be embarrassed or, too they're embarrassed or people just don't find out yeah, until yeah. mom or dad dies and we found out the home health aide or the friend the next door neighbor that she'd given power of attorney to that she trusted for 40 years had been running checks to herself nobody was paying attention so if we had the revocable trust and we fully funded it meaning that there were assets that were all, all the assets are put in there. And we have a trusted second set of eyes. That could be an adult child or adult children. It could be your accountant if you don't have anybody. So Mm -hmm. especially for my single guys or gals living on their own, I love having that person's trusted accountant seeing what's going on. So if we see the statements showing a bunch of money that was ATM'd out or unexplained Charges on big credit cards. We know a red flag goes up, and we know to look further. So having a revocable trust and funding it is a wonderful protection for my older adults, especially my older adults whose children are not around
0: yeah, or single across folks. the country. Yes, yeah. Would love to talk a little bit about Philip Seymour. Seymour Hoffman, um, who had a non-traditional family, had a domestic partner, who was living with someone for many, 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 many years, and three
1: children. So what happened there? So, you know, in some of these unfortunate stories, it comes down to the the person that died. It was Philip Seymour Hoffman or Marilyn Monroe. They chose poorly when it came to choosing a good an attorney that could do the job they really should they really should have seen an estate tax attorney there you could get names from the bar you can uh, your accountant's a great resource certainly a financial uh, advisor like you is a great resource that the attorney is not somebody that does wills and 10 over 10 other things you know jack of all trades master of none you know you really want to find an estate tax attorney not someone that just wills but also you know like they also know well about the taxes they'll have their lm in tax or they'll have a master's in accounting so they know about the taxes if philip seymour hoffman had gone to you know an estate tax attorney because i saw his will actually used in my class one of the years as an example of things going wrong Uh, and by the way you said he had a non-traditional family and i just want to make a note that most of our families these days are non-traditional
0: families i know i know when when does it become the traditional family and the traditional family becomes the
1: non-traditional i think we're already there except the i guess the walt disney movies of the world just advertise that all the you know majority of the families you know you know, look like the happy parents with two kids and yeah. a dog. When in reality, Stacy and I do this in my first class is that that only represents about 25% of our families. Most of our families do look like the non-traditional family, like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. But to answer your question, if he had done a living trust, he would have kept it private. He would have had the name of um, guardian for his kids, which would have been a parent, but more importantly, a trustee of, of a trust for the children. That way, he would have avoided court supervision, court intervention, the money would have gone to the trust for the kids, and it would have been thought out. I mean, he would yeah. have made educated choices about what he wanted. So
0: now, when he passed away, with him not being married, did the bulk of his money,
1: the bulk of his estate, go straight to the kids? I don't recall at the top of my head, but I think a lot of the money did go to his children, but they did need a guardian ad litem appointed because whenever you have a will and you are uh, have minor children, the court will appoint a guardian ad litem. Guardian ad litem means guardian at law. The court will find an outside attorney to represent that disabled person's interest. And I'm saying disabled, not in a physical disability, but in the age. If you're a minor, you're considered legally you know, legally disabled because you're not 18 years old. To make so, those decisions. To, make, so to represent you and make sure your interests are represented in this particular matter. And we'll sign off on behalf of the minor children.
0: Yeah, so I imagine that no court wants a three-year-old mm-hmm. receiving assets of millions of dollars right. and having their sole discretion, right? Right. a three-year-old, let alone even more dangerous a 16-year-old. Yeah, that's um, for sure. And so the way around that would be is if he had set up a trust for each of the kids to receive the money and set a trustee to make sure to manage it? Would that been a way around what happened in
1: that pre-planning? Sure. I mean, again, I don't have his will at the top of my head, but if I were to have represented him knowing the, the type of assets that he had in his family, you know, we would have definitely talked about on his death, setting up a trust for his children. What does he envision for? What are the most important things? You know, very typical or, is for the child's health, education, main support, where the primary objectives are to maintain the child's standard of living and education. And when I like to kind of expand on the definition of education, including elementary, private school, maybe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. s- summer education, camp. graduate camp, postgraduate education. So really to have a long definition of education. So the trustees have guidance on yep. how to distribute those monies and also the appropriate age. I mean, if someone dies... And they don't have trust for their kids. They just named, maybe they maybe just named the guardian. What will happen to the kid's money? It'll, that'll be held in a, at least in New York, it'll be held in a certain type of account, a guardianship account that's supervised by the surrogate's court. And then at 18 years old, the child will get that money. And if the guardian needs to take money out to use that for the child, they'll have to make an application to the court. They'll have to account to the court. It becomes more of a process. And a little a star here, uh, Stacy, is that. This is equally important, again, back to coordinating your will with your will substitutes. So say a person did a will and they named, they had money going to their children in trust and then they had a life insurance policy at work and then they you know, named their two kids as the beneficiary. Seems like the right thing, right? But now they're getting it outright, and they're minors. So now... We would, because the beneficiary should have been the trust on behalf of the kids. Or it could have been named the parent's estate, and then the will says it go. any money's coming into the estate will go into the trust. I actually had that real-life situation where the decedent had named his minor children as a 50-50 beneficiary of two life insurance policies and didn't coordinate with the rest of the estate plan, so we had to get... The mom appointed a guardian. That's the whole process, by the way, months, months. This is not, you know, and you think, oh, it's the natural parent. It's, you know, should be, a, you know, not a big deal. Well, it's a process. Yeah. You have to have an application. They have to run your details with the government to make sure there's no child abuse or other violations on record. It takes time. Then, once you get issued letters of guardianship, you're limited to where you can have the money. Like, you can't just, it's not up to you as the guardian to where you have the money. They have to go to certain bank accounts that the court approves and you can't have more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in any one and that number may sound familiar because that's the FDIC insurance they don't want it God forbid that JP Morgan goes under you know you lose the child's money so you have to kind of spread it around to the different banks What's the takeaway? The takeaway is that you need to speak to an attorney that has done this before. Yeah. So they not only do the right will, they do the correct by you by doing a proper will with the trust for the kids, with thoughtful guardianship provisions, but also equally important is that you are lining up the will substitutes to match the plan, the life insurance, the retirement accounts.
0: That all those beneficiaries, all the beneficiaries, And the easiest thing I imagine would be just to say, here, a state planning attorney. What do I write for my beneficiaries? Yes. Tell me word for word, yes, and then do it. Yes, that's right. right. I mean, I'll tell you, I work really well cooking if I have a recipe yep. to follow. And so, the lesson learned here is just ask your state planning attorney, and they'll let you know, and just write it down word for word, and yep. make sure that you're all there. Right. And I have to say, so many negative things about not setting up a trust for your child in advance and having to go through the guardian process to manage money for your child who's under age 18 that you just left it directly to, the
1: process of Mm -hmm. getting a guardian. In New York, no, actually this is a state specific process. So each state does things differently. So if some of our audience lives in New Jersey like me, the garden state, because of Bad Rap, great place, Mm -hmm. or Connecticut. That state law will control. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So using those state laws, which is going to take time, number two is going to take money. And number three, the thing that scared me the most is that the child gets the money outright at age 18. Yep. If I had money when I was 18, I would not have made good choices. Love my kids, but I can't imagine either of them being really quite equipped. So we've gone through a lot. I want to kind of circle up, you know, if you were to kind of those three tips for a woman who has gotten divorced when should she update her will? How often? Hmm. You know, when should there be an update to it? Let's say that she does update it right after she's divorced mm-hmm. and everything's you know, when are the triggers that you would say would merit her looking at the will again? <laughs> after she's made it after she got divorced, exactly. sure. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the questions that yeah. I get as well of well, oh, I just did my will two years ago. Do I need to update that? And typically, no, but I imagine there are some cases where you do.
1: Yes. So I have a handy-dandy sheet that I give to all of my clients. I'm I'm going to steal that
0: sheet. So for those of you that aren't here, Jill just pulled out a sheet when your estate planning document should be updated and she's got clear bullets. This is
1: perfect. If we can, Answers get, a, your question. <laughs> if we can get a
0: copy, we'll, we'll put them in the show notes Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Along with the other resources. But what would you say were your top three? So my top
1: three, if we're playing family feud, no, family feud number are the top, one, three, top three ones, number one, ding, 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 change your marital status. So okay, we so have our divorce, legal separation or death, Yeah, uh, okay. death of your spouse. Number okay. two, a significant change in your financial situation, either positive or negative.
0: So like an inheritance. An or-
1: inheritance or someone loses their job or so those are, you know, two big things. Okay. Number three, and this, I you know, almost think I could have written this specifically for our program today. Your presently named guardians of your minor children are no longer an appropriate choice for the role. Yeah. So those are, I mean, I have a whole list here and we'll give that to you yeah, that's, for your uh, listeners, but those are the top three. And going back to kind of the wrap up, what are the takeaways for my divorced women? So number one is find out from your matrimonial attorney, when is the soonest you can update your estate plan. It may mean that you can change your power of attorney and your healthcare proxy right now. Yeah. That's not, financially related, and you can do that now. And I would say, do it. Because like you mentioned earlier, Stacy, gosh forbid, we find ourselves in the hospital and the person that we've named is our soon to be ex. They'll say, yeah, pull the plug and bring the Mack truck while you're at it. No, <clears> she doesn't <throat> need morphine. No, no, Whatever exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's number one. Number two is make sure you choose carefully the roles in your estate plan, because now you're on your own. And you don't have necessarily his family involved. Although sometimes I'll hear things say, ah, oh, you know, I love my sister-in-law still or oh, my former in-laws. They're better than he was, you know. <laughs> they sided with me on this. So, you know, choose carefully. And i am left another resource for you on the factors to consider when, for each of the roles. Mm-hmm. Speak with the people that you've named. Yeah. So yeah. I make a joke in my class that the 13th Amendment of the, the Constitution abolished slavery. So that's because you name the person to be your guardian of your children or your trustee of your kids' trust or your healthcare agent or agent of a does not mean they have to serve. They can say, no thank you. So make sure you speak with them and let them know that you've named them and they're okay with it. And the third thing, and we've touched on this as well, is that make sure after you do your estate plan, that part of what you do is you match your assets with your plan, meaning that your will substitutes, your life insurance, your retirement accounts, your any 401k, your 401k, yeah. any asset that passes by a joint owner or a named beneficiary, you need to make sure that those assets match your plan and you speak with your estate attorney about that. Now, your estate attorney should be speaking with you anyway about it, but if not, you know, it's always good to understand that this is something that's a key part of your plan. Yeah.
0: And a best practice, just as a kind of a final thought, is to ask your financial advisor to send you your beneficiaries on all your accounts once a year. So we do that. That's great.
1: Just so that there's no... surprises. surprises, Yeah, that's wonderful. Wonderful.
0: Thank you so much. I would love for you to share what's the best way for our listeners to contact you if they are in New York, want to update their estate planning documents or healthcare proxy power of attorney, or have questions of wanting you to review things to see, hey, do you need to update them? What's the best way to, to reach out? Maybe your website? And-
1: sure. My website, I will say it for the program, it's www.mtrustlaw.com. Or they can reach out to you, Stacy, and we can uh, work together. I will make mention one last thing. On my website, I also have a couple educational videos Great. for folks. You know, I'll, I'll never make get an Academy Award, and it kind of sat. You know, I guess, guess satisfies a an old childhood wish to be on the screen, but I uh, was never had any talent, so I did these educational videos. So I have the basic have the Associate's Guide to Estate Planning, a one hour of excitement, and another one hour of, of excitement, the Associate's Guide to Estate Administration. So those are two wonderful resources. I just taped them last year. I use them for my Cornell Law class and they're available free to the public for folks that just want to know a little bit more. Thank you so much for being here, Jill. Pleasure. Appreciate it.
0: And we'll put all of Jill's contact information in our show notes, as well as the amazing resources that she mentioned today. And thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After. We'll be with you in two weeks. If you have any questions about your situation going through divorce or after on the financial end, feel free to reach out. We would love to chat with you. We have a free second opinion which is an x-ray analysis on your investments every single holding your financial situation and often it can be the first time that people have seen how everything is working together and whether or not it's really a good fit so reach out to us stacy s-t-a-c-y at francisfinancial.com or you can visit our website
1: www.francisfinancial.com thank you and we'll be talking to you in two weeks